As, uh, as kids are leaving, just a reminder, we've been going through uh, a four-part series uh, called Essential Practices for Jesus Followers. Uh, it's been uh, an awesome opportunity to hear from the Lord and to hear from God through different members of our community, both because of their experience in these practices and also their passion. And just, I think, the, the, the things that God has given them for us has been really powerful and really uh, encouraging. And so we've looked at what it means to be with Jesus. We've talked about how to read the Bible, and we've talked about prayer last week. And so this week, we're going to finish with looking at how to worship. Uh, and so I'm really excited. Uh, our worship pastor, uh, Ryan Heiser, is going to come and share with us uh, this morning. And just as he's coming, I just want to encourage uh, you guys, like, uh, you know, I know you get to witness him leading us in singing uh, in worship every week. And that is such a huge gift. What, what our worship team does week in and week out uh, is just amazing. And God blesses us through that. But I also just want to encourage you uh, in terms of what I have seen as I've gotten to know Ryan over the last year. This is a man whose heart is for worship. Uh, and just so what he brings today, there's a measure of integrity because I've seen it not just on Sunday but in his life and the way that he relates to people and cares for people and lives his life as a testimony to Jesus. So would y'all just uh, uh, join me as we just encourage and welcome Ryan with a round of applause as he comes and brings God's word this morning. So, Well, good morning. <laughs> you can't say things like that and then expect me to stand up here and talk to people. Just... <laughs> And it's good to be with you. I've got to confess, it's a little weird uh, to be up here without a guitar. That's unusual, but uh, I'm excited uh, for this morning. It's a joy and a privilege to get to speak uh, about worship and to be with you uh, here. As David said, we've been going through this series, right? Essential practices. Uh, and the whole thing is anchored in this idea of, of these are the practices that come with following Jesus, right? These are the things that we are to do if we sign up and say yes to Jesus, right? So we talked about being with Jesus. Uh, our friend, our brother Derek Smith, he talked to us about what that means. Uh, that's language we use a lot around here, around here, right? Like being with Jesus, what is that? Um, the next week we got to hear from Jack Wisdom. Uh, and Jack talked to us about how important it is that we are people that are growing in our knowledge and our love of God's word. That's critical for us. Uh, that we hear a reliable source of truth in a time that's confusing and chaotic. We can run to God's word. The next week we get to hear from uh, Craig, uh, and he shared really powerfully, right, about the importance of prayer, that we are to be people who are praying. We have an ongoing dialogue, a conversation with God, that all of our life is to be spent talking to God and listening to God. He reminded us that real things happen when real people pray, that there's something at stake when we pray, uh, and it was a great and powerful sermon. Uh, and as David said, uh, today I get to talk about worship. Uh, it's something that I love. It's something that has kind of caught me by surprise in my life. I never set out to be uh, a worship pastor. I never set out uh, on a journey to learn about worship, but that's kind of where the Lord's led me, and it's been uh, a massive joy and privilege. So uh, excited to share with you this morning. Uh, James, is this okay? Is my mic all right? All right, thanks, bro. Uh, so I have to say up front a couple of reservations, a couple of things that make this daunting for me before I say anything about worship. Uh, one is that worship is daunting, right? It reaches to the furthest places of our being. Worship, uh, there's not really anything that we do or say that isn't tied or tethered to worship in some kind of way under the surface, right? It's a big topic. Uh, I'd, I'd press a little further. It might be bold, but I'd say 
Worship is the central theme of scripture, right? It's the central theme of redemptive history, and it's at the very heart of the gospel, what God is doing there. It's all about worship. Uh, And so it's a lot, you know, in the time we have this morning, uh, I'm not going to get to share everything that I want to share. I'm not going to be able to say everything I wish I could say. Uh, And even as I say that, I can see some of you exhaling, you know, your shoulders are rolling back. It's like, man, that's great. Thank you. But what I want to do is just share one or two things, one or two things that I think are really critical for us to get about worship, Uh, things that I think are foundational and things that, if we understand, I think are going to lead naturally to a thousand acts of worship that I can never speak to this morning. So uh, that's where we're going. Uh, The other quick caveat, and it's mostly for me, kind of goes without saying, you know, we're a small church, you know me, but... Uh, I'm not a worship expert, right? God has brought me on this journey. I've learned so much. Uh, He's been so good to surround me with people uh, who know and live that kind of life. Uh, I want so badly to be a person marked by that and for our whole community, for our church to be people that flourish in this thing of worship. Uh, But what I've learned uh, more than anything is that it's, it's one thing to talk about worship. It's one thing to understand what God's vision for worship is for us. And it's a really different thing uh, to walk out the door and to try and live that. So uh, hear me this morning. I'm not a worship expert. You can ask my family or anybody who's close to me. I'm growing in this just like you, but uh, I'm excited to share. So with that out of the way, uh, a couple things. I want to start just by defining worship. What is worship, right? If we're going to grow in worship, if we're going to learn about it uh, and try and do it together, we kind of have to understand what it is. Um, I think if you Google that question, it's interesting because you're you're looking for clarity, but actually what you find is there's so many answers. Uh, People who are brilliant, who love Jesus, who answered that very question in a variety of ways. And so uh, what I've found is that although they use different imagery, they use different language, they come at it from different angles, really underneath all of that, uh, there's a similar principle. There's a shared kind of idea. And so Uh, I'm going to give you my definition, and by my definition, I just mean the parts I've stolen from everybody else that I think are really good and stitched together uh, to give myself a way of thinking about this. And this this is my definition. It's what is worship? Worship is the all-of-life response to who God is and what he's done. I'll say it one more time. Worship is the all-of-life response to who God is and what he's done. Uh, told you, it's not flashy, it's not immediately profound, right? But I think that's why it's helpful. Uh, That's kind of what we need when it comes to worship, isn't it? I think a lot of us, uh, myself included, we walk around uh, feeling like we kind of get worship, like we have this loose understanding, we can think of pictures of it, uh, and yet hard-pressed, it's hard to really say succinctly what worship is. And so uh, that's my answer, that's my response. Worship is the all-of-life response to who God is, and what he's done. Uh, There's a couple of pieces here, and I'm just going to break them down, just point out some things that I really like that have been helpful for me, and that starts with response. Um, That our worship is a response, it means it comes as a result of something else, right? It means worship doesn't start with us. It means it's catalyzed by something outside of us. And, And what I would say is, While worship is uh, universal, I think it's human. I don't think it's just uh, Christians that worship. Uh, And while that principle of response is always true, we know in our faith that our worship is actually a response to someone, right? It's not something. We respond to a person, and that person is God. 
And I think more specifically, if I can just press on that, I think it's a response that when by the power of the Holy Spirit, our eyes begin to see who he is. That's the response. We see who God really is, and out of that comes this response. And and who is this God? Who has he revealed himself to be? Who is it that the Holy Spirit shows us, right? He shows us a triune God. He's a God uh, who's one God, but he exists in three persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. He's a God who spoke creation uh, into existence and upholds it all moment by moment by the word of his power, right? That's what the Bible tells us. It tells us that this is a holy and a perfect God, like Taylor was talking about. It tells us that he's a God who sees all things, who knows all things, whose wisdom is unmatched. This is the God of the Bible. He's perfect in justice. He's perfect in love, right? And, and what I want to say is that worship begins when by the power of the Holy Spirit, the eyes of our hearts are enlightened to see that God, uh, not just the God of our own making, but the God that's revealed himself to us. I think a lot of us uh, understand this dynamic. We think about it when it comes to conversion, right? The beginning of this life that we have with God, that, that kind of in a moment or in a series of moments, the Holy Spirit kind of starts to reveal to us who God is. Uh, and then out of that, this relationship blossoms with God, right? Um, it starts that way, but... But I think it's also true that this is an ongoing reality for us. Uh, I don't think the seeing of this revealing God stops there. I think that's actually just the beginning of it. Um, In a lot of ways, I think you could say the pursuit of following Jesus is really just the pursuit to see more of him, right? It goes on and on. And as we see more of him, he's conforming us to his image. He's making us like him. We learn to worship and love him. But it all starts with seeing And I think that should make us ask a question, right? If you're with me, that makes sense. If worship begins with seeing, then the question that leads out of that we should ask is, well, then how do I see him, right? He's not with us. He's not walking uh, physically with us. How can I see more of God? And I think the answer is that's what makes these essential practices we've been talking about so essential, right? When we come to God's word, this is the place where we get more of him. This is the place where he begins to reveal more of his character and his nature to us. This is prayer, right? The line between prayer and worship is super thin, right? We're bringing everything we have to God and we're saying, God, would you do something about this? God, I need help with this. Change my heart in this. And in all that, there's a posture underneath it saying, God, I trust you, I love you, and I need you in this situation. And when we do that, it leads us straight into worship, right? Worship is the result of having been with Jesus. Maybe you've experienced this. It's just you and him in a quiet place, and and you can't help but just fall into worship as you fix your eyes on who he is. I think another caveat there is that it's all relational, right? These aren't just uh, practices. Uh, We need to do the practices, but they're all relational and spiritual endeavors, right? We're reliant on the person of the Holy Spirit to be able to do any of this. Um, And you know that because there are people who know the Bible, right? We all know people who know the Bible infinitely better uh, than you or I ever will, who have studied it cover to cover, they know it, uh, and yet they don't see. They don't yet see God there. And and that's what Jesus points to in the Gospels over and over. There's this reality of seeing. And what that means for us when we start to come to these practices is that it should lead us to a posture of humility. Uh, Jack kind of said this, right? It should lead us to a place where we realize, God, we're dependent on you. We need you to see you. Would you help us in that today? And the 
The good news for us uh, is that God loves to do that, right? That's who he is. He is by nature a self-giving and self-revealing God. We don't have to beg him to do that. He loves to do that. He loves to give us more of himself. Uh, and how do we know that? Well, we, we start in Genesis, right? The creation of the world. Think about this. Before any of us were ever here to see it, God spoke creation into existence. It's this vibrant and beautiful world with creatures and this burning ball of fire in the sky we call the sun. Uh, None of us were here to see that, and yet he made it. And it's beautiful, and all of it is meant to say something about him. It's meant to be this echo of what he's like. So we see it in creation. We see it in people. Uh, He tells us that we are uniquely stamped with his image. There's something about him that's on us that nobody else gets. Right? You can look at the best of our humanity, and it's an echo of who God is. Not even sin or the fall could mar that image completely. It's still on us. So he reveals himself just by who we are as people. He reveals himself through his word. Jack said that. A library of books. It's a great phrase. This library of books written by so many people across thousands of years, uh, but ultimately written and inspired by the, per, by the person of the Holy Spirit, by God himself. He's revealing himself there. We see it in Jesus, right? Par excellence, it's Jesus. It's a one-to-one. He's the image of the invisible God. If we want to know what God is like, then we just look at Jesus. If we want to know what God thinks and what pulls on his heartstrings and what makes him weep and how he'd interact with people like you and I, we don't have to wonder anymore because we can just look at the person of Jesus. Isn't that amazing? May the Holy Spirit, right, God in us, God sent to take up residence within us so that in all of our moments that he would be with us, that he would teach us and comfort and convict and instruct, that he would call to mind the things that Jesus told us. We have God in us, and he continues to speak into our lives, doesn't he? Our God is a revealing God. So just to get back to our definition, because I've kind of gone off trajectory there, let me get back to the definition. If worship is the all-of-life response, if it's the head, the heart, and the hands response that results from having seen God for who he really is, uh, then it means that worship begins in the heart. It's always a heart act, but it's not going to stay there, right? If it's the all-of-life response, head, heart, hands, it might begin here, but it's always going to work itself outward, to some kind of physical thing, right? These are acts of worship. That's what makes it a discipline. Um, I want to look at just a couple pictures of this in Scripture. They're all over. I mean, you could spend forever looking through your Bible and just seeing what happens when people see God. It's amazing. Uh, But let me give you a few. Uh, So Psalm 63, this is David, and he's singing this song. And the song is, God, because your steadfast love is better than life, my lips will praise you. Right? So the reality of God's steadfast love in his life, it's real. It's not this cognitive kind of thing. It's real to him, and he senses it. And out of that, he just bursts forth, my lips are going to praise you, God. Here's another one, Psalm 138. I give you thanks, O Lord, with my whole heart. Before the gods, I sing your praise. I bow down to your holy temple. I give thanks to your name for your steadfast love and your faithfulness. Same thing, who God is is real to David in this moment, and he sings, he praises, he worships out of that. That's not the only kind of posture uh, worship takes. Sometimes it looks like repentance, right? Here's one from Isaiah. 
So this is Isaiah. It says, In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord sitting upon a throne, high and lifted up, and the train of, the ro- and the train of his robe filled the temple. Above him stood the seraphim. Each had six wings. With two he covered his face, with two he covered his feet, and with two he fled. And one called to another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. And the foundations of the threshold shook at the voice of him who called, and the house was filled with smoke. And then here's his response, right? And I said, Woe is me, for I'm lost. I'm a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips, for my eyes have seen the King, the Lord, right? Isaiah gets this vision of who God is. He sees God's holiness, and it cuts him to the heart, right? He knows immediately by God's holiness that there's something about him that's unholy. Here's one more. I love this. This was the gospel reading, so. And after six days, Jesus took with him Peter and James and John, his brother, and he led them up a high mountain by themselves, And he was transfigured before them. His face shone like the sun, and his clothes became white as light. And behold, there appeared to them Moses and Elijah talking with him. And Peter said to Jesus, Lord, it's good that we're here. If you wish, I'll make three tents here, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. And while he was still speaking, when behold, a bright cloud overshadowed them. And a voice from the cloud said, this is my beloved son, with whom I am well pleased. Listen to him. When the disciples heard this, they fell on their faces and were terrified. But Jesus came and he touched them, saying, Rise and have no fear. And when they lifted up their eyes, they saw no one but Jesus only. What a beautiful passage. Jesus' closest friends. Just one chapter earlier in Matthew 16, Peter's declared, You are the Christ, the Son of God. Chapter 17, they're walking up next to him, physically looking at Jesus, and yet they don't see what they're about to see in a minute. When the fog rolls back and the voice of God speaks, they fall down. It's a response of awe and reverence, right? And so the point is, there's no shortage of these kinds of responses. Worship begins in the heart, and it's going to work itself out in some kind of way. And what I've found, maybe you have too, uh, is that these responses, a lot of times, they're just they're no-brainers, right? It's kind of in direct proportion to what God is showing you, what he's revealing to you. Uh, nobody had to tell Isaiah that he was a man of unclean lips. That's immediately obvious in light of this holy God. Uh, nobody had to tell Jesus' closest friends to fall down in terror. They get he is God, he's holy, and they fall down. It's, it's instinct. Um, and so those acts of worship, a lot of times, they just show themselves to be what they are in accordance with what God is showing us. And so worship begins with a seeing heart, a heart that's beginning, uh, beginning to behold who God is and what he's done. Uh, and I just want to pause here and just ask the question, have you ever experienced that? Um, has that ever been a reality for you in your life where all of a sudden uh, the reality of who God is, the reality of maybe his holiness or his goodness or his nearness, where that's real, that kind of transcends an idea, but it becomes real to you. Have you experienced that? I can tell you that I have experienced this uh, for sure. I've experienced this in a number of different ways. It's amazing, the continuity, but, but I've experienced it in rooms filled with people just singing God's praise, uh, rooms that feel a little bit like heaven feels, I think. Uh, 
I've experienced this by myself, just walking out on a trail, just speaking to God, you know, about the stuff of every day. I've experienced it there. I've experienced it in this room with you all. We've experienced this together, the reality of God's goodness and his presence and all of who he is. Uh, it becomes real. It's tangible. Um, if you've experienced this, what I would say is you know that in a lot of ways, it's almost impossible to describe with words, isn't it? It's really hard to put a name on it. It's, it's not just an emotional high. It's not just this cognitive, intellectual thing. It's not less than that. Uh, but all of you kind of rises up and kind of comes alive in light of the reality of who God is. It feels tangible. Um, Psalm 34, we read this. I love the way it says it. It calls it tasting and seeing. It's a place where the presence and the reality of God is so real to the senses that it's like taste. It's like touch. It's real. It's a place that satisfies us in the deepest parts of our being uh, and at the same time kind of creates this hunger and thirst that we never knew we had. You want more of it, right? And so... Let me get slightly more practical here. It's called essential practices. I think this is supposed to be practical at some level. Uh, The best advice I could give you, if you want that, or if you've had that and you want more of that, and I do, the best advice I know how to give you is just to run to those places. Run to the places that he's promised he's revealed himself. Um, I love the picture in Exodus, right? Moses is crying out, God, show me your glory. I want more. Show me more, and God places him in the rock, right? And he says, this is where I'm going to pass by. Stand here. I'm going to pass by. And he passes by, and Moses sees him. That's like us with these disciplines. It's very similar, isn't it? When we run to the word, when we run to God in prayer, when we make it a point to come and worship together week in and week out as a family, we are standing in the places where God says, if you stand here, I will pass by. You're going to get If you want that, run to these practices. Lean into them. It's not always fun. Sometimes it's hard. But press in. It's worth it. You will get more of him. This is the way into worship, right? This is the way into getting more of him. So so worship begins with seeing. That's point one. Uh, Point two, worship is sacrifice. Uh, I'm going to have to move a little more quickly here. uh, But I, I do have to touch on this. It's really important because what I found on the ground is Everything I just said is absolutely true. I've, I've experienced all of that. Maybe you have too. Uh, but you can't live that way, right? It presents this really obvious problem. Uh, and what's the problem? The problem is that it leaves out the vast majority of our lives, doesn't it? Um, you can start to feel like there are these small pockets of worship in my life. It's the moments where I'm here in this room. Uh, it's the moments where I have my quiet time with God. Uh, but then you step out and you have the rest of your life. Does anybody feel that way? Yeah, that's me. I'm with you. We have real obligations. We have real responsibilities. We have jobs. We have families. We have kids. We have friends. We have all this stuff. It's impossible for us to live in that place of focused seeing, right? We can't sit around an open Bible all day long as much as we might want to. It's it's impossible. And so um, lest I give the impression that it's just an outward reality, what I'd say too is I think it's an inward reality. It's not just the things out here, but, but even in our most disciplined, right, even in those seasons where we're showing up every day, we still don't see all of God, do we? It's a sliding scale. There are seasons and days and moments where we see him more and less. It's one of the things I love about that passage, right? Peter confesses Christ in Matthew 16, 
Matthew 17, they're walking beside him physically. They get to the mountain. Moses and Elijah appear, and they kind of get it. It's like a new level, but they're not quite there. And then the cloud, ah, Jesus, and they fall down. There's degrees of seeing him, and, and we don't always live in that place where we can see him in a focused way. And so the question for us as followers of Jesus, of people standing in that spot every day, uh, is how do we worship when we don't see? How are we supposed to lead lives of worship in these moments where it doesn't flow out of us as naturally, where it's difficult to worship? What does that look like? Is that still worship? Maybe it's here today, right? You drove here to church, and we're in this room, and we're singing, and you're singing the words on the screen, but inside you're like, God, I have no connection to this. I know this is true, but this doesn't feel very real for me today. You know, maybe it's, maybe it's just Monday morning. That's usually what it is for me, right? Great Sunday. You wake up. You have your quiet time. It's me and Jesus and my cup of coffee and a Bible. And then what happens? You step out into the world, and it all goes awry. Yeah? Sometimes it's just a normal day. It doesn't even have to be a bad day. Sometimes it's just like work and take out the trash and, you know, you got to change diapers. Whatever's in front of you, the question is, how do we worship in that place? If I can just be super honest with you, let me tell you, as a worship leader, this has been a real pain point for me. This has been a problem for me in my life because what I have to do, what I get to do, uh, is to come in week after week and to stand here and put on a guitar, right, and lead the charge, to sing the praise of who God is. But, but what if I'm not there? I've lived in that place for a long time, and it's really hard. Uh, but I'll tell you this. This is what the Lord has kind of shown me. It began as a lesson here uh, in church and gathered worship, and he was doing a number on me here. Uh, and it has since spilled out into my life. It's spilled into my home life and every other place, and I'm so grateful for this. It's been freeing for me, but, but what he's shown me is that all of life can be worship, actually. And he wouldn't call us to it uh, if he couldn't do it in us. All of life can be worship. And the secret there has been that he's shown me that there's a kind of love that gives itself to, be being, to being made low. There's a kind of love uh, that opens itself to doing a million repetitive and boring and unenjoyable tasks, uh, not because you love the thing itself, right, but because of the one whom it's for, because of the one whom it's serving, right? We can do unglamorous things in quiet places that people will never see because he sees, and because we love him and it blesses his heart. That's been the lesson, it's a kind of love and a kind of worship that's costly. Let's look at your closest relationships, right? Look at your friends, look at your spouses, your kids, your closest relationships. Aren't they all kind of characterized by that kind of love? A love that's costly, love that's sacrificial. Look at the Psalms. We're in good company here, right? I heard recently like 70% of the Psalms are lament. 70% of the songs are songs sung from a place of, God, I don't see you, where are you, but I love you. Isn't that amazing? Look at the life of Jesus, right? The perfect worshiper, the perfect sacrifice. The Bible doesn't hold out to us pictures of people living lives in spiritual bliss. As sweet as that is, as much as we love those moments, that's not what the Bible shows us. The Bible shows us 
people who say basically with their hearts, Lord, whether I see you or not, whether I feel you or not in this moment, I'm yours. Take it all. All of it's going to be praised because of who you are, whether I see you or not. That's basically what the Bible shows us. Can I tell you that that's not unloving? That's a deep love. I don't know if you've heard that. That's a deep kind of love, a love that would sacrifice and be made low because of who it's for. A heart that seeks nothing in return, but one that only seeks to bless the one it's for. All we have to do is look at the cross, right? The single most costly act of love, the single most costly act of worship in human history where Jesus, even as his hands are outstretched and he's singing Psalm 22, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He's giving all of himself in that moment. He's holding nothing back. And why? Because he loves us. Because he loves the Father. He's laying himself down. It's in these kinds of moments of sacrifice, I think, this is the encouragement that God has used to actually expand the capacity of my heart. These are the moments where we find Jesus, and it's always a surprise, right? But it shouldn't be, because that's what we see. When we are made low, when we sacrifice, when we give to, what, to a God that we sometimes can't see, it's in those places that we find him. We discover more of his heart because we're joining him in being spent. We're joining him in being poured out, and we find more of his heart there for us. We learn his love for us in a new way. So worship is seeing. Fight to see him. Fight to be in the word, to be in prayer, to be in worship, to have time alone with him. Fight for those things. You will see more of him, I promise. And worship is sacrifice. Give all yourself away to him. Give yourself away to the people around you that he's called you to because you're going to find more of him there and because it blesses his heart. It fills the Father's heart with joy when we do that. You won't regret it. This is your spiritual act of worship. Let's pray. God, we praise you today for who you are. God, we thank you that you are holy and perfect. God, that you are just and loving. God, we thank you for the love you've put on full display in Jesus. God, thank you that there's always more to see of you. God, you're a God that can never be exhausted. No matter how much we've seen, there's always going to be more. So I pray this morning that you would lead us into that, God. That you would lead us into the place of more of you. And that out of that, God, you would make us people of worship. That worship would just spill from our very lives to the people around us. God, I pray for those who are in the place of unseeing those who are struggling, those who are wondering where you are. Maybe it's been a long season. God, I pray that you would meet them right where they are today. Lord, that you would would show them that by your spirit, worship doesn't have to stop. They can still lay themselves out as a living sacrifice because you've laid yourself out for us first. Lord, we want to be people of worship, people who know you, who praise you, that all of our lives would say something about who you are. Help us to be those people. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.